0: Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner. You're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, which is a Penguin Random House book that came out uh, in June of 2015. I also write for several websites, a lot of magazines, and a couple of humanitarian organizations. My main gig is that I write for an organization that I have loved from the start. It's kind of my dream job. Every Mother Counts. I write their website, blog, and educational content, and I help out where I can on other projects. Here's why I love my job at Every Mother Counts. It takes everything I'm good at, maternal health advocacy, writing, and education, and it ties it up into an exciting little package. Plus, I love my coworkers. Every Mother Counts' mission is to make pregnancy and childbirth safe for every mother and we focus on reducing maternal mortality by uh, helping women improve their maternal health and by helping healthcare providers to perform their jobs in the most efficient, effective, and compassionate ways possible. We do that by connecting people who wanna help us meet our mission with the people who need our help. We fund grants in countries where maternal mortality is a harsh reality and we host and attend events and activities that help raise awareness and money so we can fund those grants. Put it all together and it makes a big difference. My job as senior writer at Every Mother Counts came my way on my birthday about four years ago uh, when our founder, who I'd worked with on articles from time to time over the years, she asked me to contribute a blog uh, to her brand new organization. One blog led to another, and pretty soon I was Every Mother Counts Senior Writer. It helps a lot that I have a couple decades of maternal health nursing under my belt, and it helps that I've worked with other humanitarian organizations, and that I'm I'm pretty passionate about the subject. Every Mother Counts is a dream job, and not just for me. We're a pretty small staff, but I think almost everyone who works on our team feels about the same way. We're passionate and dedicated, and we feel very lucky to work where we do. So, last week's episode was titled Mother of Invention, about the creative ways mothers and fathers deal with their careers, childcare challenges, and the creative energy we get via pregnancy and parenting. Today, I want to talk about dream jobs, motherhood, and why we work so hard in maternal health. I want to talk to Every Mother Counts HR Director and Running Events Manager, Kristen Kirkland. She has her PhD in psychology. She's a world class runner and she's just as dedicated to her work as we all are on our team. Let's get her on the line. Hi. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So, I'm finding you in Alabama?
1: That's right. I, uh, this is where I grew up, Montgomery, Alabama. And I traveled down here for the long weekend with my daughters. Um, they had spring break from school and wanted to spend some time with family.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, traveling down from New York.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And how old are the girls? Uh, Maya is five and a half and in kindergarten, and Luna is three and a half, and in preschool. Oh my God, three and a half. Three and a half
0: was, I don't know, three and three and a half or four was my most, I think four-year-olds for me was, that was when I always went out and got the book, you know, like, your spirited child or your (laughs) four-year-old, because that was the point where I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with them. With each and every one of my kids, four, I think was it. You hanging in there? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: It, it, you know, she's, it, it, I don't, I feel like a lot of people have the experience of having the first kid who's very compliant and reserved and cautious. And then they have the second kid and think, maybe I wouldn't have done this again if I'd had this kid first. Like she's, she's,
2: <laughs> she's
1: such a different person. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, often, uh, refer to her as, um, in constant uh, competition for leading actress in a, in a drama. Um, <laughs> she's just everything. The default response is dramatic but uh, I know it is a lot of the age too but she's it's a uh, she's either she's got a love-hate relationship with her cousins here so she's either <laughs> it's all going really smoothly or she's just flipping out and, and storming out of the room about everything. So it's, it's
0: fun. <laughs> yeah. My second I, I hope you're not listening to this, darling, but my second is named <laughs> Camille, and she was much the same, major yeah. drama queen. And I just thought, yep, yeah, she's such a Camille, such a Camille. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, it's they're cute, right? It's yeah. Just, they're yeah. They're living great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cute. And she's a, a grown-ass woman now, so we all survived to tell the tale. <laughs> so there's hope. Yeah, There's always hope. There's always hope. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Kristen, thanks for coming on the line today. I'm calling this episode "Dream Jobs," but ah. before we talk about this, oh, and last week my episode was called um, "Mothers of Invention" because I was talking about how much creative energy um, mothers and dads, but you know, parents in general, have to put into the post-post baby career challenge and how it really um inspires and motivates a lot of parents to really you know get their to do some really amazing things entrepreneurial things or new career directions and stuff like that um so -hmm. this one i'm calling dream jobs and before we start talking about that i want you to tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do and your background
1: sure um well, so I have already talked about that I grew up in Alabama, yeah. um, but now live in New York, which is uh, quite quite a different experience than having grown up here. Um, I moved up there um, in 2001 for graduate school. Um, I pursued and completed a Ph.D. program in industrial organizational psychology, which is... Um, a mouthful of a title, it but really uh, is. it's just <laughs> and not particularly descriptive of of what it is. There's actually been a lot of conversation in the field at, at various points about whether or not we should change the name of it to make it a little more understandable. Um, but uh, it's essentially the application of psychology and the understanding of human behavior, but specifically in the workplace. And um, the appeal to me of the field is that there. Um, are so many different kinds of work you can do within it. So it's not at all a therapeutic type of psychology. Uh, we don't study a lot about um, you know, personality theory or anything about diagnosing psychological disorders. Um, it's, it's really much more um, around... Uh, understanding things like leadership and motivation in the workplace and uh, how to put together a job description that accurately captures everything that you need to do a job well and then how to go out and interview people properly to ensure that you're finding out whether or not they have those skills. Um, in large organizations that have... I need to hire really big groups of people at a time. Um, they'll often design uh, use like a test that you can give to a whole lot of people and then create some sort of cutoff score. So there's work that you can do uh, as an Io psychologist to design those tests or to to do kind of the science behind um, that. So you can kind of go in like a mathematical direction or more of going in and doing training programs and Talking to people about how they keep their employees motivated. So, uh, uh, the field appealed to me because they had a lot of options. Um, after graduate school, I started working in, um, Wall Street firms essentially. Um, the, the choices in the field are kind of to either go and work internally in an organization or go and be a consultant somewhere. And most of the types of organizations that have the resources to have people like that on staff are those larger organizations like banks, like retail companies, pharmaceutical companies. Um, so uh, that's where I started. And um, I worked at J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, Merrill Lynch and Credit Suisse and um, got a lot of really awesome experience. I was there in the middle of all of the financial crisis. So um, I worked at Merrill Lynch when uh, it was up in the air about whether or not it was going to be Lehman Brothers or Merrill Lynch that went down, um, and it ended up being Lehman Brothers. But it was a really crazy experience after that to go through the merger with Bank of America, and I had a really—it was a—it was stressful, but it was really um, incredibly educational to to be you know, there on the front lines when our financial system seemed like it was falling apart, and to see the impact that, that had on people firsthand, including myself. Um, and I feel like I learned a whole lot through that experience, despite being scared every week that I was going to get laid off. Um, but then I had my first daughter, and I, uh, I went on maternity leave and really just took, I had also defended my dissertation um, 11 days before she was born. And so um, I had been still working on my dissertation while I was working in this Wall Street firm. So I had this really big moment of like school was finally done, and I was my identity as an adult had just changed dramatically by becoming a mother, and just really wanted to take a step back and say, you know, what? Where do I want to go from here? How do I want to pursue this career? And in combination with now being a parent. And uh, decided to leave the the Wall Street world and had the chance the opportunity to be able to to take some time off, do some part time consulting, um, uh, and really step back and think about how I could potentially apply this field of I psychology in the nonprofit sector sector, which is what I always wanted to do, but wasn't exactly sure how to do because nonprofits are not exactly in the position to have people like me on staff right um yeah so yeah. that's around the time that I found every mother count.
0: you also have a separate background as a runner
1: I do yeah yes, tell me a little been... bit about that
0: <laughs> because pretty soon we're going to merge those two to talk about your job
1: okay sure um I have been a runner as long as I can remember um Both of my parents were runners. My grandfather was a runner before people really ran, so he passed that along to my mom. Um, And so as a kid, we would go to road races as a family, and um, it was just a really big part of my childhood. I sometimes would run with my dad in the morning before school just to go out and be with him. Um, And uh, then when I got into middle school. I ran cross country and track and stuck with that through high school and um and then when I went to college, I actually went to college to play um varsity basketball. Um and I spent the first year doing that and uh the cross country coach approached me after the season and said, You know, if you if you thought about running cross country with us and um I was like, no, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't but uh, tell me more. What, what would be involved? Um, and I ended up joining a cross century team um, at my school, which was a Division three small school, so it wasn't like I was there on scholarship for either one of those sports, but it was still a really nice way to keep athletics and, and that kind of feeling of being on a team in my life, which is something that, at that point, after doing it all through middle school and high school, I really enjoyed. Um, and I ended up only doing basketball for one more season because two – Sports in college was too much, yeah. but I stuck with cross country because it—it it was, I loved it. I loved the team. I loved—I just loved everything about it. The coach was amazing, and—and and I think that the experience of of being on that team with that coach who made it so enjoyable, in combination with having grown up with it, but it, that was the thing that that solidified it as this is going to be a part of my life forever and is really a big part of who I am and what makes me happy.
0: It's your natural and, um, sport.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like I, I can't imagine not doing it. It's just in my DNA. Yeah. Um, my natural and, sport
0: would be swimming. I grew up swimming in the ocean. Yeah. And then uh, after having kids and I wanted to get back in shape, swimming at the Pasadena Rose Bowl Aquatic Center. And mm-hmm. um, at that time... Baywatch was on TV, and that was the pool where the Baywatch um, actresses practiced swimming and lifeguarding skills. And so, oh
1: my god, yeah,
0: that was me. I was swimming with the Baywatch babes.
1: <laughs> That's amazing.
0: <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was pretty darn funny. But now I've gotten to the point where I love to swim laps. Love, love, love it. But. I don't mm-hmm. like to get my hair wet. <laughs> I'm such a winner. <laughs> Sports change, don't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's go back to talking about um, how you found your way into every mother counts. Sure. And it didn't it have uh, to do with your second pregnancy?
1: Well, it, I coincidentally, or whatever the right word is for it, the uh, my second pregnancy and the the fact that it was complicated actually happened after I got involved. So it felt more, um, a little bit ironic that I was already involved in a, in a maternal health organization and then had my own situation. Um, it actually started with, um, my first, my first mother's day as a mother, 2011. And, um, I saw an ad, a baby center ad, um, or no woman no cry which is the film that christy charlington burns the founder of every mother count um made and it was going to be airing on the oprah oprah winfrey network that over that weekend and of course being a new mom by the time i saw the email it was it had already happened mm-hmm. um and so instead um i just started looking to the website. Um, I, at that point, had done a little bit of pro bono consulting for another nonprofit that's actually based here in Montgomery called Southern Poverty Law Center, which is an organization that um, fights hate crime and intolerance and was something I personally was already a supporter of and and know the CEO of and said, hey, you know, this is is where I am and I'd love to help if I can. So... was thinking, you know, oh, maybe this would be another organization that I could reach out to. I certainly can get behind maternal health um, <clears throat> advocacy now being a mom and having an understanding of how important it is to, you know, to, to be educated and, and and have this the same kind of experience that I got to have with really great care. And, um, but I kind of procrastinated on, uh, on, on doing anything about it. I think I was a little bit scared to reach out and have the every mother counts team say, yeah, we don't really need your help. (laughs) Um, and so I I put it off and I started talking about it a lot and I think I was trying to work my way through how I would try to explain what in the world it is that I do. Um, it, it is a field that so many people really haven't heard of. Um, and, um, I this was so I saw the thing about the email, uh, the email in May and it really uh, it was I procrastinated literally for three months. So September comes along, and I get and I had signed up for the newsletter, so I got the fall newsletter, and then, you know it was just the organization updating on everything that they were working on at the time, and I was also training for uh, the Dublin Marathon at the time, and so. Um, as I I often will use runs for specific things to kind of go out and be like, okay, on this run, I'm going to really try to think about this particular issue or come up with a plan to deal with this particular situation. And so I was like, all right, I've got 18 miles, <laughs> some significant time in my head. I'm gonna figure out how I'll write this email, like what it is that I want to say, how I'll describe the uh, the work I might be able to do, and I was still living in the city at the time, and um, I my one route was to run along the east side of the island down through Battery Park and then up the West Side Highway, and then depending you know on how far I needed to go, I would then turn around and, and come back, and um, I was doing my normal route, and as I turned from Battery Park City onto the West Side Highway, Christy, ran right past me
0: oh my god
1: <laughs> and I was like
0: <laughs> I don't think I knew that
1: a second. <clears throat> I I literally couldn't believe it first of all I was like I think I just literally willed that to happen like I I I just had some sort of force in the universe that made that happen that was awesome second I thought why is she running I thought she did yoga third I thought I if i'm not i can't say anything i can't stop her because that's weird and that's gonna seem like that i'm like stalking her or something (laughs) so i'm just gonna keep running and clearly take that as the kick in the pants that i need to go home and immediately take some sort of action yeah um and so So you didn't you
0: didn't turn around and start chasing her (laughs)
1: No, oh, no. I, yeah. I think that would probably not be the best <laughs> first impression. <laughs> um,
0: Christy, Christy, I was just writing an email y- to you in my head. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> slow <laughs> like, down, slow down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I got home, um, and I got on uh, the website and saw that there was a screening of the film No Woman to Cry in Brooklyn the following week, and I was like, well, clearly I need to go to that. And um, so I, I went out there, and um, and I, we actually had, a, like, a friend in common, so I knew that I was, I didn't ever want to use that as a way to make the initial introduction, but I also knew that I could at least, like, make reference to, uh, you know, I know this person as well, so that it would help, especially when I was going to explain that we ran past each other and I just didn't want it to come across as creepy. Um, <laughs> so, um, after the screening, I, was, uh, you know, just was able to have a conversation with her and said, you know, uh, this is what I do. Um, I've just been trying to come up with some way that I might be able to get involved and help um, and would love to learn more about what your needs are. And if there's anything I could do just to volunteer and, and lend my services, um, you know, I've been thinking about it and then trying to come up with what to say. And then we ran past each other the other day on the West side highway. And she was like, Oh my God, that's crazy. That's a sign. And I was like, yeah, I think it is. I, I was kind of why I'm here. And, um, And uh, she said, oh, I'm training for the New York Marathon. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, I'm training for the Dublin Marathon. And the races were – mine was on a Monday uh, in, like, October. And then um, the New York Marathon was on that following Sunday. So it was the first Sunday in November. So um, we were kind of on the same training schedule. And um, so I – uh, she gave me her card, and then I, you know, she said I, it's really just me and the executive director right now. Um, but you know, let's let's talk. Let's see if there's anything you know that, that, that might make sense. And so um, I went home and I wrote an email, and she put me in touch with the executive director at the time, and um, and we she, we ended up scheduling a phone call, and um, she's like, look, it's just the two of us. Um, but we're about to make our first hire. Uh, we want to hire somebody to help us with our social media because we figure that that's going to be the way that um, that we really begin to build a community of maternal health advocates and neither one of us know that much about it, so we want to bring somebody on board to do that. Could you help us with that? And although my background really was more on kind of like, it's not necessarily like, you know, a recruiter or HR generalist per se. Um I know enough. I thought, okay, I know enough about this process and how to write a job description. I know to do all these things. I could certainly uh, help with this, and that would be a cool way to get started. And so that's how it got started. I just jumped in and started helping manage that process and interviewing candidates and and helping with hiring. And And Maya, and like, Maya was how old at that she time? She was, was like one. Yeah, like one, basically. Uh She was, yeah, 13 months old when we took her to Ireland and Scotland for me to run the Dublin Marathon, which was not the smartest decision we've ever made. But anyway, yeah, she was one. Um, Isn't it amazing
0: what women can do? I mean, it's like you've got all this creative. This is what I was talking about in last week's episode, where women Mm -hmm. come out of their pregnancies with all of this creative energy. and yeah. What do they do with it? And and it's just kind of amazing to me the conversations I get to have with women about what did you do with with what you had there, and you kind of you literally took it and ran with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean to to say that like I don't know that I could have ever predicted that it would even occur to me that I could apply, like that I could go on nonprofit. Like you talked to me when I was in graduate school and said you know, one day you're going to go and figure out a way to apply this job to a nonprofit that's going to end up being really non-conventional, like, it, that would have been like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, what are you even talking about? But like now, looking back on it, the steps that it took to to get here, um, is, you know, it's, now it does make sense. But yeah. it, it certainly wasn't a predictable path.
0: <laughs> no, no. So, yeah. And then you got pregnant with Luna.
1: Yes. So I started off really once we made a first hire, then all these other things started to come up. So I needed, there was like the work kind of just kept generating itself. Um, And you were doing this all volunteer? All volunteer and all remotely because at the time our headquarters were based in DC. Mm -hmm. So occasionally I would, you know, meet up with a couple of people like with Chrissy and with Clancy who was. Um, both working partially for EMC for and then partially for Christy um, personally as well. And um, so they were in New York. But, but at that time, uh, Aaron, who was our executive director, was based in D.C. And then the person that we hired as a social media person was also based in D.C. Um, so, yeah, all volunteer, all remote, little things kept coming up. Um, and I just kind of kept saying, okay, well, what else? What else do we need? Like, all right, we came up with an offer letter. Now we need benefits to offer her. I'll go figure that out. Um, and so it just, you know, but it was, it was perfect for somebody that was, you know, uh, would have a toddler. And then I was in my second pregnancy in 16 weeks into my second pregnancy with Luna. Um, I found out that I had, um, a combination of complications. So one, I had placenta tibia which, um, is where the placenta is blocking the cervix. Um, it had attached the uterus down there, and um, which is an issue if it stays there because obviously, or uh, maybe not obviously, the placenta can't come out first. And if it's blocking the way, then it's, um, it's yeah. the, the only option is a C-section.
0: Yeah, because um, with placenta previa, it covers the cervical opening, just for listeners who may not know. And yeah. you can't push a baby through that because baby and mom will bleed to death. Yeah. It's one of those, absolutely, if you've got placenta previa, you're having a C-section. It's the only safe way to yeah. go. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and the, at the time, the the doctor that we were working with said, you know, actually this could resolve as you as the baby grows and your uterus cont- continues to expand. It may be that it, that part of the uterine wall moves up and then it won't be blocking the cervix anymore. So they were less concerned about that at the time, more concerned about the other complication, which was velamentous cord insertion, which was something I'd certainly never heard of before, um, but more common in multiple pregnancies uh, or pregnancies with multiple fetuses. Um, but the the easiest way to explain it is that the umbilical cord hooks into the baby totally fine. But when it hooks or is connected to the placenta rather than it being that plugged in and then the, like, I don't know, think of it like, like plugged into the mothership, mm-hmm. um, where it's going to be to have the best connection. Um, it, it sort of hit the surface of the placenta, and then all of the blood vessels, um, both mine and hers, were all around the outside of it. So it was instead kind of plugged in through an extension cord, was how I started to like to get it visualize it. And yeah, and, and so the issue was if she couldn't get enough nutrition and, and everything from me because of having this kind of like one step removed connection but there was was possibility going to be a point that she would need to, it would be safer to take her out earlier than later. You know, so obviously at that point it was like, you know, we're not going to know what's going to happen. We just have to watch and, be, and monitor really carefully. But if we hit a point where even if she's at 30 weeks, if, if she's not getting enough from you, then we, it's going to be better for us to get her out, which is, you know, of course a very scary idea to think about any of these things happening. And, um, and also particularly difficult, I guess, was, I don't know, that's, that was really the first time I've ever had a major health issue mm-hmm. and the paralyzing feeling of there's absolutely nothing I can do about this, but just wait and see what happens. And that does not work well for someone like me who is, uh, here's a problem, then I will go fix it. I will find solutions for it and then just have to wait. Um, it turned out that my coping mechanism was to just get really, really educated Mm-hmm. about it, but maybe obsessively, <laughs> um, reading every journal article and um, everything I could find about it. Um, and then at 26 weeks, it started going in an even more complicated direction where um, the placenta had not moved. It, it was staying in place, fully covering the cervical opening, but then started splitting in half. Um, and the doctors said, you know, maybe this is because it's like trying to get out of the way uh, so that it, and it could be that it, under different circumstances, it could split in two and still be fine that for, you know, to provide nutrition for the baby. But because of the complication of my having filaments cord insertion with that, those blood vessels were around that outside part. So if the placenta did completely split, those blood vessels would be left exposed. Um that's a condition called vasa previa, um, where they would be left exposed over the cervical opening. And the problem with that condition is that the baby's blood vessels, which are particularly fragile, um, can rupture if your labor starts, if contractions get going. Yeah. And um, and if that happens, you know, the way that they explain it to me visually, there's really nothing we can do. Uh, so we, you know, if you fully develop this condition, you'll have to live at the hospital essentially from week 32 through 35. The point of that being to just have proximity to an operating room,
2: mm-hmm. um, but
1: literally not be able to leave the building. And um, and then, but the likelihood of if if the contractions did get started, um, you know, we probably can't get her quickly enough. But it's just you know and babies blood vessel ruptures, they just don't have very much blood to lose so they it happened very quickly so needless to say this is all you know a very terrifying experience and um, and and luckily what ended up happening is that it the that did stop splitting um, it stayed put and she continued to grow well and um, and then at and, and I everything was, moved along with, with no complications, uh, other than just let's get to 36 weeks. And then we got to 36 weeks and, um, and then said, we're going to go ahead and, and do the C section so that we don't, and I was like, Oh, can we please get to 37 just on so full term? We said, no, we're not going <laughs> to take any chances. Everything looks really good now. Um, The issue was that uh, it was the same week that Maya was turning two, and so I said, we have to at least pick a different day. They can't have the same birthday. Um,
0: That was really kind of you.
1: (laughs) It really (laughs) was. It was really kind of you. (laughs) Well, I had to pick the next day because um, there, there weren't appointments the rest of the week, and uh, so their birthdays are back-to-back, which, of course, so far has met joint birthday parties. And at some point, we'll probably have to do something to distinguish it a little bit more. But,
0: um... Maybe you will Yeah, very... Maybe you won't. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll grow up as sisters who just, they share birthdays. That's how it is.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's worked very well so far. But, um... Yeah. yeah it's a totally uneventful, perfectly fine D-section. And, um and a healthy kid that didn't have to, you know, she didn't have to spend any time in the NICU even though she was a little bit premature and everything was great.
0: I think you were on maternity leave um, from, you know, your volunteer position at EMC about the time (laughs) when I started working for EMC.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And
0: I had kind of a, you know, a coincidental start too. I remember – Um, You know, Christy and I had worked together on magazine articles where, you know, she was my celebrity source for maternal health articles and um, kept in touch a little bit over the years, but, you know, not much. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard from her in Mm -hmm. quite a while, and I opened up an email from her on my birthday. They were starting to develop their website, and they they wanted to collect content for their blog. Which was just brand new. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you went to the website Mm -hmm. back then, there wasn't a lot on there yet. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, so I contributed a blog. And then it turned out that she and um, our executive director were going to be in Seattle, I think, just, I don't know, a week or so later. But it also happened to be a day when I was going to be in Seattle. So it was just Mm -hmm. kind of one of those things. That's how things work with Every Mother Counts.
1: Mm-hmm. lots of serendipity
0: <laughs> lots and lots of serendipity yeah so we we met up and i told them they needed a writer and they agreed yeah that worked out <laughs> yeah so let's talk yeah. a little bit about how your um your running career turned into your position as the running events coordinator sure I haven't we haven't so, really talked about what running does for every mother
1: counts right, right. and I, and I yeah, talked a little it,
0: bit I talked a little bit in my intro to this punk cast about you know what every mother counts is and does um, but okay. I haven't really talked about the running program yet
1: sure well it it, it was um, a bit of a another bit of serendipity actually um, that 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 year that I literally ran into her. Um, and, and she mentioned that she was running the New York city marathon, Chrissy, um, that, that year was the, uh, the first time that every mother counts was, was had anything to do with running. And it was the New York city or the New York Roadrunners, um, had given Christy 10 spots in the marathon and just said, you know, we know that you're, she's friends with the person who was in charge of the charity program at the time. And, um, and, and said, you know, here, if you want to do this, and, I, and Chrissy sort of looked like, hey, you know, I've always wanted to run a marathon. Um, I'll give it a shot, and recruited some close friends of both her and, and that had been saying they would be willing to kind of help the organization. Um, and uh, and they got together and, and ran the race and were able to raise $150,000 as a team of 10, and... Um, and it was a bit of a light bulb moment of both, this is a great way to to raise funds. It's a great way to raise awareness, to be out in, um, in a race like that with our the shirt saying Every Mother Counts, which is a provocative name. People want to, they often say, I, wow, I agree with that, but what does that mean? And, and it's a great conversation starter. Um I I, I always get a different
0: response. When I'm wearing, yeah, when I get my Every Mother Counts t-shirt and I'm, you know, walking or running around the neighborhood, I invariably walk past adolescent boys who say stupid things like, yeah, my mom can read too.
1: Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) I haven't... never heard that. That's really
0: funny. I've had it happen several (laughs) times. Maybe I just live in a stupid
1: neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm... Not often uh, encountering adolescent boys at the running events, probably. But I've got a little bit of a different different audience there. But uh, that's awesome. Um, But but the the bigger light bulb moment I think for for Christy and and sort of collectively the team at the time was, you know, the organization addresses three barriers that women face to getting the care that they need. education and resources or supplies, and, and then transportation or distance. And so many women are so far from a clinic or a, a doctor, and and, and so they're, they're not being able to get travel the distance, so they have no way uh, to, to get transportation there, and so therefore are not getting the prenatal care that they need or not getting to a clinic um, or can't get there to give birth, um, and then you know might lose their life due to a either a complication that could have been identified if they had prenatal care or a complication that happens during the delivery, and so it really resonated for us to think about as you know as runners we can cover distance symbolically on behalf of these moms, um, and I think another thing that really resonates well with with the people who want to run for us is when you say is I mean you think about a 5K is the average distance that women in developing countries are having to travel to get to care. You think about, and as a runner specifically, just because you know know what it feels like to run a 5K, you can say, you know, I can't imagine having to walk that while in labor. Like that is, that's hard to run. So to think about doing that while going through one of the more, physically challenging and painful experiences you can have as a woman (laughs) is, it's really powerful. And um, I think it's really given people a way to feel like they can do something to take some sort of action to be part of the ENC community. Um, that they're doing something to take care of themselves, which of course would promote health um, for everyone. And, um, and then to have this kind of symbolic connection to, to, covering one of these barriers for women
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and and so the the genesis of this whole thing started with the marathon and then and that, that was i was running Dublin, and they were running new york and then um uh there was a guess almost a year and a half later um that i when i was coming back from my maternity leave and i use air quotes on maternity leave because it was we referred to it as that even though I was a volunteer, I had just ingrained myself enough in the organization at the time that, um, that that's how we could refer to it. And, um, and our executive director said, you know, we've got several employees now and, um, you know, we'd love to have you be the HR director of the organization and help get some infrastructure into place. And, um, And so I started really focused on that. I don't know if you remember this, like me scheduling calls with each of the staff to talk to people because we didn't have job descriptions yet. Mm
2: -hmm. So just
1: to say, you know, like, okay, tell me about what it is that you're doing. Help me understand, you know, the scope of the work that you're doing and then thinking about how how we put a performance review process in the place. And uh, we need a 401k now. We have enough people that we want to be able to offer that. So really building some of that foundation. But because of having been a runner and already having – done some running for EMC um we said or Chrissy and Aaron said to me you know we're we've this New York marathon has has happened now at this point it had been it was supposed to have happened in 2012 again with a theme that was the year of the hurricanes that got canceled but we had another big group of people that were running it or were planning on doing it um and they had done a lot of fundraising as well so this had you know it happened twice. We were starting to get some interest, in, in people saying what what other things could we do? So they said, if you want to throw a few hours of your time, and just thinking about what it might look like for us to have like a, a, an actual running program. Um, and uh, again, I this was all I was part time, and I could do everything remotely. Um, and at this point, you yeah, had two small kids, so this was really like you can't really ask for a better setup with those conditions, you know, it just was the the perfect circumstance for me. Um, would you describe it
0: come, Would you describe it as your dream job?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I literally have the thing that I went to graduate school for and did, you know, spent a lot of time training to do as a profession and I have a lot of components of that it's, it's not exactly that work because as an HR director it's more um, it's more you know maintaining so like hitting the payroll button every two weeks and answering questions about benefits and reviewing that when that comes in mean, some of the stuff is more HR generalist but I've also been able to work in um, a lot of what I did learn through pursuing that degree by you know making you guys take Crazy assessments and then doing fun things with understanding each other's communication styles at our retreat. You know, um, um, you know, passing along different resources that have been helpful to me, um, and and I mean, building a lot of this stuff from scratch. While isn't exactly what I trained to do, is is I couldn't do it the way that I'm doing it without having that education. So it's not been a it's not a direct path from. From where I thought I would take the degree mm-hmm. um, but but still very much fulfilling and and um and so like I'm using that knowledge and then because I've been a runner my entire life, to think that there's a way that I actually get to have running be a part of my profession, too, my job is incredible,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and something I really could never have have dreamed happening, and I think it's particularly special to me because I feel so strongly about how amazing the running community is. And I'm, I'm sure every community of different you know fitness activities is really wonderful. That's just the one that I've always known. And um, and I get to interact with them all the time. Like That's a huge part of my job is to just talk with runners, explain to them how they can be a part of our community, and then provide them with support as they go through preparing for a race. Um, on the fundraising side of things, um, I'm not a trainer. We now have coaches that we work with, so I don't have to do that technical stuff, nor should I be doing it. But, um, but just getting to, to know them and, and, and then it's, it's like you've got people who are already reaching out to say they want to do something to be a part of our community and help. A lot of them often have stories like mine or mm-hmm. even worse. Um, where they've experienced the trauma and they're reaching out because they feel like that this might help them with the healing process. And they may feel like they've done something with grief or they can go take some sort of action that ensures that other women have a, a, a safe experience. And, um, it's, it's, it's an amazing gift to, to be able to have that be a part of my job. And, yeah. um, I really, I mean, I, I like, I step back and look at it and say, I couldn't have, I couldn't have ever predicted it. I couldn't have planned it necessarily. It's just, it's how, just how some things happen in terms of serendipity. But then it's also a matter of being willing to be open to some experiences and go, I don't really know where this is going to go. And it doesn't necessarily make a hundred percent sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it feels like it's the right thing to do. And I'll figure it out as I go. It's pretty
0: pretty awesome that you're able to do that, you know, especially with two little kids at home. And, you know, you're highly educated and very accomplished. But you're also at an age where a lot of women um, kind of off ramp from their careers because they realize that, you know, their dedication to what they want to do with their families is... Mm -hmm. Um, more rewarding than what they are doing with their work. And that didn't really happen with you. It was certainly never a financial option for me to quit working. Um, and I just mm-hmm. sort of just scrambled all the time, raising kids yeah. and working nights and stuff like that. So how are you, how are you scrambling? How are you doing it? I mean, talk about the yeah. real, the technical elements of how it is that you're, able to run marathons in Tanzania and Haiti while having two little kids at home?
1: Yeah, it's, it's not easy at all. And I mean, I, I want, and I have to say that I think staying home, even though I was doing some part-time stuff during the time, like before I was actually employed by every mother count, I mean, staying home with two little kids is harder than any job I've Mm -hmm. ever had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is. It's just, it's, I don't know how people do it with more than two kids. I don't know how people do it for, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's tough. And, and for a while it was, it felt like the right thing for me. And then I think partially because this opportunity kind of in some ways came to me, um, but also because I was seeking it. I mean, I think I definitely was looking to, to find some way to, to have a balance of both. um, Technically, how this works is with help. I mean, I, I, and it took me a little while to, I'm, you know, type A, like high achiever, you know, try to be good at everything and try to do everything. And because for the time that I was home and even the time that I was working, part-time from home. This job has now with the growth of the running program has turned into a full-time job and I now am am in the office three days a week. But prior to that, when I was still just part-time and at home, I still was doing everything. I was doing all the grocery shopping and the laundry and cleaning the house and all the kids stuff. And because I had more flexibility than at that point than my husband has. Um, and, um, and he's incredibly helpful. It was just that's just sort of the role that we fell into. And so as I started to transition into not being at home and now traveling a lot, um, it's been it's been a really big transition, a really big change for um, for our entire family. And I think the kids are, um, you know, they just eventually just sort of get used to stuff. I think it was now it's been. I guess, getting a year and a half of my transition into being full-time and and in the office. And um, and we live a little bit outside of the city, so there's a few involved as well. So went from me being there all the time to pretty consistently three nights a week. I'm not there for dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I make it for bath and bedtime. Um, A lot of times I don't. And then I've been traveling, you know, probably on average at least, once a month for the last six six months, nine months, um, and so um, we now have a full time nanny. Who it took me a little while to let go of certain things. I said, you know what? I can. I, I need you to help do the kids' laundry, and I need you to do the grocery shopping, and I need to, you know, have it. Have you take care of essentially? running this house because I'm not there about half the time now. And, and my husband still does so much and he's had to step up a lot too. And his role changed in the sense of just having to, to, to be, he's got more flexibility in his job now than I do. And so he makes it work. He's got better, uh, just better opportunities to be able to move things around in his own schedule so that he can be there when the babysitter needs to leave, um, but it's it's I, it's essentially I refer to our nanny as my wife, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and and I and now having gotten into like i it it was hard for me to give up doing all of those things, not because I love doing them, but just because I thought it was part of what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and having her do them and realizing. Like, if I were there, I would be doing them, but I'm not. And now they're getting done. And and on the weekends, then I'm not having to run around to the grocery store and do six loads of laundry and spend the day kind of doing all of the household stuff. Those those things are done during the week. They're just done by somebody else. Yeah. I gave up. um, I gave
0: up on feeling like I was in control of everything so long ago because I, you know, I always felt like. Just when I had had a handle on, you know, the kids and the job and the house and everything, then another shoe would drop. Yeah. And yeah, have you? Are you ever at a point now where you feel like I got this? I'm on top of it all. I know what's going on. I I know how to do this. No, no, <laughs> me neither. No,
1: yeah, <laughs> me neither. Sorry. You know, I, mean, I mean, yeah. If, and you know, now with social media, like when you do that, like your 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 world is kind of out there for people uh-huh. so you know I'll go I never I'm never at the preschool to do drop off or pick up like uh-huh. ever so the occasion that I do show up you know run into a mom I haven't seen in four months she's like oh my gosh hey how do you do it all and I think like, I would like, say I don't like right. I, I don't and there, even the stuff that I do I'm not 100% sure that I'm doing it well I mean I'm I'm doing what I can mm-hmm. um and I definitely I struggle a lot with I have this taste of, of being there and being present for everything. And now sometimes you know, like I don't know what my daughter's music teacher's name is because it's at the school and she mm-hmm. takes the bus to and from school, and I've never met her, so I don't know what her name is. You know, like that's like before I feel like in 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 a different part of my life I would have. Um, I would have definitely.
0: You would have known, known her name. Kind of you would have known her shoe size. Yeah. You would have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would have known. I would have
2: talked to her before.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Looks like. I mean, like.
0: But then just, you you come I, to find out that when you let go, it's okay. I mean, it, yeah. you're, no, you're not you're not going to let go of the big things. Like you're always going to know right. that you've got the best possible nanny for your clan. You're not going to let go of the big things, but it's okay to let go of some of the little things. And, you know, in 20 years, your daughters aren't going to say, you never knew my music teacher. Instead, (laughs) they're going to say that they looked up to you for all the things that you did. You were the model of, you know, what women can do. Yeah. And that's way more important to them. They won't remember their music teacher's name either. (laughs) true. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: and I, I did I I spent some time in that time of of not working, you know, reading a whole lot that was during the, that Anne Marie Slaughter article came out in the Atlantic about why women can't have it all and the mm-hmm. Sheryl Sandberg lean-in thing was just kind of getting going. Um and it was it was very fascinating to, to to just think about all of that and 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 the question around whether or not you know and I know now I think since Anne Marie's come back and said, kind of retracted some of what she said in that article but in terms of the you know maybe we shouldn't even be trying to have it all that's not necessarily the way to approach it but I mean it, it was it was um, it was on my mind all the time like how to balance this how to do this the, it's so important to me to be a good mom I I, I love Having these two girls, I love being their mom. I love watching them become people. I love the way that they make me question things and and see things differently through their perspective. And it's it's you know one of the most amazing experiences of my life so far to get to to have the experience of being their mom. Um, but I also know how important it it was for me to feel like that. I was doing something that made me happy and made me feel like I was using my time in the way that worked the best for me. And, and that it has ended up being through this job yeah. and, 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 and I do, I thought a lot about that as well, that, you know, I, I hope that they'll, See what I'm doing, and be proud of that, and know that they can pursue whatever fields they want to do, and that they, if they so choose, they can have both a family and a career. And and if they choose not to, they can do that too. The, 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 the options are open, and yeah. um, that's the message that, that, that we're
0: giving to. Hope. That's what we, the message that you know women are giving to this generation of girls is that. Yeah. Yeah, you actually, I mean, maybe Anne Marie Slater was right. Women really, I mean, maybe maybe women really can do it all. Whatever mm-hmm. that all means, you know? Mm-hmm. It it's going to mean different things for different women. Mm-hmm. So, we have talked for a good long time here, but I want to talk about just a couple of more things. Um okay. I want to let people know how they can get involved with um, Every Mother Count's running program. And, you know, we work with a bunch of marathoners and super marathoners and uber marathoners. And, you know, (laughs) we rub shoulders with some of the most accomplished runners in the world. Mm -hmm. And then there are women like me.
1: And, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: I only recently came out of the closet about what I call slogging. It's not really running because I am so slow. It's so slow. I was listening to another mother runner the other day, and they were talking about a woman who ran a half marathon in an hour. And all I could think was, right. fuck, it took me an hour <laughs> to run 3.72 miles or something like that. And, and you know, in an hour, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And yet, yeah. and yet... Mm. it helps. And, you know, I, I click on my charity miles app, which is an app that you can download on your smartphone and you just click it on when you go for a run and you choose whatever charity you want. There's dozens on there, but of course we want everybody to choose every mother counts. And then Mm -hmm. they donate. um, It's 25 cents, right? For every mile that you run um, or walk. And then I think it's a dime for every mile that you bike. And that money comes directly to us and that money um along with all the funds that people raise through various races around the country um, goes directly to fund our grants programs. so it's a hundred percent model right now um, where you go run for us that money is going to get funneled into a grant to help mothers in Haiti or New York or Florida or Nepal or you know the various places where we have grants, even if you're a slogger like me. <laughs>
1: Yep, it's all that the distance that counts,
0: not not the time that it, it takes. The the time the time counts a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For the record, I've literally never met a person who can run a half marathon in an hour. That's insane. <laughs>
0: well, if you haven't met her yet, she's probably gonna hear this and then come to you and pretty soon that's gonna be your next goal too.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, so so to, to share more about how to get involved with the running program. I think it's it, very important to, to note what you're saying, which is that we have plenty of people that are wanting to run marathons and half marathons or ultra marathon, whatever. And that's wonderful. And we're of course going to continue to grow and, and support um, those types of races, but we also have races of all distances all over the country. Um, so The way to get involved, I kind of think about it in terms of um, building uh, at the most basic level of engagement is using charity miles, which you can do anytime you go out for a run or a walk. Um, I even one night, they have an indoor, they have indoor options if you're on a treadmill. And um, so I put on indoor walk one night and we usually do a dance party after dinner. Um, I try to get my girls to watch fun music, like from – that I loved when I was young, so a lot of, like, Michael Jackson and um, Evie Wonder and those kinds of things we'll put on videos and have a dance party, and I actually held the phone while we danced, and it, it tracked movement for, uh, I got um, a mile's worth of, of movement just having a dance party. So you can use it creatively, um, uh, but to, to earn, earn funds for us, um, if you're looking to do something kind of at the next level, say you looked at our race calendar and you don't see any races that are on there that are in your area, Um, you can just pick any race. Wherever you live, a fun run, a 5K, um, 10K, whatever distance, um, reach out to me and um, I can either give you the specifications for helping us do some awareness raising or helping us do some fundraising or just getting a shirt to you and just... Going out to that race and being there in the shirt, and if people ask you what's going on, tell them who we are and um, and what you know a little bit about what we're doing. Um, then we've got kind of the the next level of engagement is is our we a running ambassador program. We've got women and men all over the U.S. and now several in Europe that are um, putting together teams at local events. So if you look at our race calendar, a lot of the races that are on there are teams that our ambassadors are putting together and um, they're pretty well spread out now across the country and um, so that's a way if you wanted to join one of those teams and you'll you know have a team captain that's there for race day and um, it's several people that will be running the event as well Um, and you can earn shirts um, the same way that you can if you're just picking your own event and then um, the the most engaged way is with um, our races where we're official charity partners of the races, and those tend to be um, more of the longer distances. So um, we've got we got spots on our New York City Marathon team. We've got spots on the Chicago Marathon team. We're a charity partner for um, the Destination Race Series um, this year, um, which has races spread out throughout the country, and those are half marathons. Um, and uh, and those are races in which um, it's a little more involved in the sense that there's a fundraising minimum. But you're getting a lot of support and great gear um, and access to coaches and nutrition tips and fundraising tips and um, all kinds of good stuff. So, so, so um, listeners
0: can get all that information on the website, everymothercounts.org, um, by going mm-hmm. to the... There's a tab for running, isn't there?
1: Yes. And any race that they're interested in they look at our calendar, um, they just click on it and it generates an email to me so we can have a conversation and figure out what plan makes the most sense.
0: So I want to ask you my final question that I like to ask everybody. Where are you in your life as a mom? Hmm.
1: At a point I think of... Still, really trying to figure out the right balance. If there's a way that I can strike a little bit more of a balance, I think the intensity of my job converting into being full time in the last year and a half and having all the travel added to it has almost swung the pendulum so far over that I feel like I'm not. Doing as much as I should be as a mom, I would want I want to be doing more, um, and I don't really even know exactly what that means. That I mean, some of it is is maybe even like psychological presence. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes even when I'm home, because the job has been intense and we've been focused on a lot of growth, um, and it's been just. There's a lot that I've been trying to do because we had the opportunity for so much birth and, and because it is so full-time that my head is often just there spinning and, and thinking about that stuff and to the point that, you know, I'm I'm kind of not in the moment at home. It's hard to and shift so,
0: gears down to Dora the Explorer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So – Trying to strike a better balance between, like, I, I love the work and I and I love being fully engaged in it, but then finding a way to actually more effectively unplug at the times so that I can be home, so that that time is really as valuable as it should be, yeah. and because uh, because it is more limited now, so I need to I, I should ensure that the quality is is as good as possible since I'm not getting as much of it.
0: If I was going to give you any bit of advice from Mm -hmm. a mom who has, I have always been a working mom and I have always worried about that very same subject is Mm -hmm. that there's all kinds of quality that is not necessarily the quality that you are intending, but Mm -hmm. your kids absorb it anyways. They know that, you know, when you've just worked a double and you're home and you're barely keeping your eyes open There's a quality to that that they absorb too. They get it that my mom works really hard and she's here packing my cheese sandwich the way I like it. And that's Mm
2: -hmm.
0: enough. They don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need to have, you know, all of these huge moments that we would interpret as being quality. For them, Mm -hmm. you know, the things that they're going to remember are the dance parties after dinner. And they're going to remember, you know, the simplest things and Mm -hmm. you know i can say this as my youngest is 16 my oldest is 31 so you know when my kids were toddlers and i was worrying about how were they going to interpret you know my full-time work as a nurse um was i leaving them behind and come to find out that nope they were fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) fine (laughs) fine fine (laughs) they didn't know any different they had a hard-working mom They still do. And, uh, yeah, they were fine. (laughs) Just fine. They also had a hard-working dad who was there, who knew how to do braids and bows for the girls and knew how to do, you know. (laughs) They had a rich life, and it didn't have to all rest on me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kristen, we have talked for a good long time. so. Let's put a pause on this conversation and come back to it again sometime in the future. I know that Every Mother Counts has a big Mother's Day push coming up and maybe we'll talk about that going forward. Thank yeah, you, thank absolutely. you, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm honored to, to be included and um, it's always nice getting to spend time with you. Well, cool.
0: All right, we'll talk again soon.
1: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Mama said there'll be day There'll be days like this mama said, mama said, mama said, mama said there'll be days like this there'll be days like this my mama said, mama said, mama said, mama
0: said I today's guest was Kristen Kirkland of Every Mother Counts you can learn more about Every Mother Counts at everymothercounts.org where you'll find all the information you need about our grants the running program and all our current events Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com. You can buy my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, all over the place. And you can email questions to gene at genefaulkner.com. Thanks so much for listening, for sharing the podcast and for keeping this important conversation going.